We've all been there, networking at a party, presenting to a crowded room. Few of us can naturally project confidence and authority in an intimidating situation. Many of us are simply lost for words. Thankfully, while being confident at work isn't something we're born with, it is something that we can be taught and learned, and without sacrificing our authenticity. I'm Clara Bertrand, your host for Founding Conversation, a podcast for sharing ideas and insights for understanding and improving the modern world. Brought to you by the Picte Group. In this episode, Picte's global head of branding, Isabel von Ribbentrop, meets Viv Grosko, a woman who has conquered the world of journalism, comedy, writing, and broadcasting. She draws on what she's learned about being confident both herself and from others in her books and podcast series, How to Own the Room. And now, in a new book called Happy High Status. In this conversation, Viv shares her story and her tips for being confident while still being yourself. Viv, thank you very much for coming and being here today with us. It's a great honor. You have or had a wildly successful career in fields including journalism, comedy and podcasting. I would like to discuss with you your new book, Happy High Status, and have a few questions for you. Thank you, Bella. Well, it's lovely to be here. Let me explain first what's meant by this expression, happy high status, and where it comes from. The idea of status is something that is very powerful in theater, comedy, in all acting training. And there's a theater director called Keith Johnston who wrote the seminal work on this in pro. And he really pioneered through the 60s, 70s and the 80s this idea of status on stage and a lot of improv theatre and improv comedy grew out of these ideas. It's all to do with presenting status to people and acknowledging the fact that the audience is always watching for status play. So we're always looking at who's up, who's down, who's got the advantage, who's the one who's really got the power and the control. And this has got nothing to do with your social standing. So whether whether you're rich or poor, whether you're the king or the king's valet, it's to do with the social interaction. So if you think, for example, of imagine in your mind a king and then you imagine the king's valet let's call it the king's valet or the king's dresser and the king is somebody who is not happy to be the king but he knows that he has to be because he has no choice so he's somebody who actually inside has low status because he's occupying a high status position superficially but he in himself is low status the valet however is very keen to manipulate the king to do whatever he wants to really be the power behind the throne. So he, in that interaction, seems to be low status, but in fact, he's high status. So in drama and in comedy, we're always watching for those interactions of not what is stated on the surface of like, what's your job title? You know, what's on your business card? Um, those kind of social status symbols, not that. But the real status behind things is what we are always looking at. And I happened across this idea of happy high status, largely through doing improv work, including with Spontaneity Shop um, in London, which is a brilliant place to do improv classes. Uh, I happened across this idea of happy high status, and it completely transformed how I thought about myself and how I thought about an audience, because it really means 
not trying to impose yourself so that you are better than anybody and not trying to be on the back foot so that you're worse than anybody. It's a very neutral way of being. And it's not something you can be all of the time. No way. There's Nobody's so perfect that they can be happy high status all of the time. But it's a really good question to ask yourself when you're in a challenging situation, especially if somebody is trying to challenge your status and manipulate you or take power over you when you don't want them to, to think, what is the happy high status response here? Because it's an often a response that can diffuse a situation, that can take the heat out of it, that can really allow you some flexibility in your response. It's the same kind of idea as when Michelle Obama talks about when they go low, we go high. Happy high status. When they go low, we go high. So what does high look like for you? Very interesting. It's like, how can I be the bigger person? So how does happy high status build and transform the idea of projecting self-confidence And, and does high happy status mean being loud and extroverted as well sometimes? Does it help? Because sometimes I feel people get attention because they're loud and extroverted or maybe other people just become quiet then. And do you think also you can have too much confidence? Yeah. Well, these are things that people think about all the time when they're thinking about how they can become more confident, whether they should become more confident, do they have to have a personality transplant? <laughs> And I'm trying to offer a completely different take on this really, which is to say that happy high status, which is a form of ego-free, open confidence, is something that looks different on every single person. And I really feel that everything we've seen in the last 50 years in terms of the changing face of leadership, the spread of TED Talks, all of the visual information and proof that we have of powerful forms of communication, which are changing all of the time. I really think that that old stereotype of you have to speak in a certain way, you have to look a certain way, you have to project a certain kind of confidence, you have to have a certain accent, All of those things have been completely smashed in the last 50 years and they're going to become even more, there are going to be even more extremes of this all of the time. I'm thinking in particular of speakers like Malala, you know, she's a speaker who's had huge cut through, speaking in her second language, clearly a shy and introverted person, hasn't had to make herself loud or jazz hands to achieve an impact. I'm thinking of leaders like Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, Sana Marin in Finland, um, Kaya Kalas in Estonia, who have perhaps what we might think of as a softer power kind of style. Um, they definitely don't try to behave like Winston Churchill. You know, there's still definitely that stereotype that you have to kind of channel your inner Winston Churchill or something in order to give a good speech or appear confident in front of people. And it's so ridiculous. When we actually think about it and talk about it, we can see it doesn't make any sense. We need to all find these ways of authentic expression, especially because we are all in our working lives and in our daily lives going to be more visible. So a form of whatever you call it, confidence or happy high status, that you can be when you are on a FaceTime call with your boss, when you're on Zoom, when you are giving a speech in front of loads of different people, when you are in a pitch meeting with clients, if you can be a very similar kind of 
version of yourself that isn't fake it till you make it, that is as real as it can be, even if it's quiet, even if it's calm, then that is going to serve you much better than trying to transform yourself into someone that you're not. Yeah, no, I understand that. That brings me to another uh, strong word because you've just mentioned these high caliber women as well and from an outside world or maybe I even work using the word superficial word, you think, oh my God, they're so successful. And uh, my question is here is also, what does success actually mean to you? And what has your own success, your own whatever that is, might be taught you about helping others to find their own definitions of success? As success for me is self-awareness. So the more self-awareness you have, the more you know yourself, you, the more you know what really matters to you, exactly how you just described, Bella, exactly what matters to you personally, what has meaning. Success is meaning. What is meaningful for you? And for some people, it will be intensely meaningful to become extremely wealthy, to uh, acquire as much power and superficial social status as possible. Great, you know, no judgment, we're all different. But to have that subjective awareness of what's meaningful to you and why, you know, Simon Sinek idea, know your why. Why do you want to do these things? Why are you putting effort into this thing? What is the meaning behind that? If you know that, then that for me is what success is. Do you think people need to be, whatever we consider, happy to have a happy high status? And when we're coming on also winding it all in, standing on stage, public speaking and all of that, can you also fake happiness? And Can you also, sometimes it helps me, my mindset is I'm trying to be positive. And because, and even if I had a bad morning, I'm switching over and say, now I'm going to be positive. And because I'm forcing myself to be positive, actually, I'm also then after half an hour, an hour, I'm becoming again in my happy, positive stage because I just forgot instead of uh, talking about it and thinking about it all day long. Can one do that? Does, is that a method you would say people could apply, that they also sometimes fake happiness and then maybe it turns into real happiness? Well, we all know the expression, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so we all know that our belief in ourselves is where everything starts. And if you don't believe in yourself, it's very difficult to get other people to believe in you. So that is always the first place to start is to try to believe it for yourself. I'm always very intrigued and fascinated by the idea of fake it till you make it, whether that is faking confidence, faking happiness. I don't know what else you fake, like love for somebody who you don't really love. I think fake it till you make it is maybe useful for some people as an expression. But I think for most people, we recognize that we read fake. We read it in others, but more than that, we read it in ourselves. So if you're desperately unhappy and you know that you're unhappy, faking being happy, <laughs> you won't fake it to yourself. But I do agree with you that you can acknowledge your feelings and think, yeah, I'm having a really bad day today. I'm not feeling good. How would it be if I acknowledge that and set it to one side for just a moment 
and looked on the bright side. <laughs> and I do think, however superficial that may sound, if you can remind yourself of that as often as possible, it is really helpful. So instead of thinking, I'm having a bad day, you think, what can I bring for other people who might be having a bad day? If you're feeling nervous, then think, what do the audience need to know from me? What do they need to get from me? Moving the focus away from your self-consciousness and you're, in a way, what this really is, is like ego and narcissism and selfishness. Moving it, sorry, those are very harsh words, but it is true. I'm not suggesting I'm not those things. We are all those things. Moving the focus away from that and onto what do other people need from me? Who do other people need me to be today? What does this audience need to see in me? What energy do they need to receive? And that automatically makes it into less of a feeling and more of an action, so if you can move from feelings to action, like what can I actually do in this situation? That's incredibly helpful. That brings me to the question also, I'm, I'm using the word failure again because it's just the most common word to use than, uh, as you said, things maybe that go wrong or not. But So how can we accept failure and still, if it's for us considered to be a big failure and still comfortably adopt a happy high status attitude and then a more personal question, had you, did you ever have to accept a failure or what was there in your life where you also thought that was really difficult for me and or something that's too embarrassing or maybe it's just a little mistake or whatever? What happened in your life that, uh, that you would like to talk about? Well, that was a massive embarrassing failure. Um, where do we start, Bella? <laughs> I guess the most obvious examples are from when I first started performing comedy. I would have many, many nights where I would absolutely bomb. And I don't, I don't mind talking about this, and I have talked about this a lot. Um, I don't often like talking about this because I don't like to, for people to have the image of a woman failing at comedy uh, in their minds because I think it's already a massive stereotype <laughs> but the truth is that is the work and you learn that the work is to fail and it's also not often to do with your personal failure that you had a joke that didn't land or maybe a series of jokes like 20 minutes of jokes with you know that is really tough right I mean you stood there and nobody was laughing. Uh, like probably not for 20 minutes but um I mean when you do an Edinburgh show and I did six years of Edinburgh shows you have to do a new hour of material every single year so you're always developing this new hour you can't repeat your previous material and when you start developing that material six months ahead of the show are you starting from nothing You're starting from not even one minute of material and you've got to get it up to like 50 minutes. So you have to start with things that probably aren't going to work. That's what work in progress is. Um, anybody who's been to see a comedy work in progress show, that is a masterclass in accepting failure and riding it out. And just, you know, anybody who's watched Eddie Izzard, she does this brilliantly. She'll say, oh, sorry, you didn't like that one. Next, you know, you make a joke of it and you move on and you learn. And you also learn that maybe three audiences laughed at that, but then the next three didn't. So you better take that one out or maybe you need to rework it. So you learn a sort of flexibility um, in failure, but you also learn that nothing is really a failure. Nothing is a failure because you learn something from it. 
and you just get up and you move on. And sure, it hurts, it's painful, but so what? It's the job. There's a lot of failure in a lot of jobs. You just have to suck it up and move on to the next yeah. thing. There are worse things in life, definitely, than that. Thank you, thank you very much, Viv. It was a pleasure to, to see you and be with you and speak to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Bella. This episode of Founding Conversations starred Viv Groskop and was presented by Isabel von Ribbentrop. The show is a collaboration between Pictet, one of Europe's leading wealth and asset managers, and the How-To Academy, London's leading public forum for sharing big thinking. The executive producers are me, Clara Bertrand, and Vasily Christodoulou. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.